Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Take a stroll with me down the streets of old New Orleans. The air is thick, humid, oppressive even. The narrow streets and alleys are tightly packed with one- and two-story buildings lining the sidewalks. There are walls beyond which we hear every sound and feel every movement. Colors flourish everywhere, all the shades, pastels, and earth tones. Overhead, on the famous balconies with their intricate cast-iron railings, happy voices filter into the jazz rifts played from below in the clubs. And there's the smells, of course. The fried beignets and chicory coffee. The gumbo, mingling with the scent of jasmine and diesel fumes from the tankers on the river. On through Jackson Square and deeper into the French Quarter, the hustle-bustle streets become quieter, more sedate, and we hear a chanting, a faint drumming, down near the end where the road leads to Congo Square. Now an asphalt park, this timeless site is still full of mystery and memory. The sounds and sensations of New Orleans' voodoo of the past. Hello, friends. Welcome to American History Hit. I'm Don Wildman. If there is a more alluring and genuinely mysterious city in this country than New Orleans, Louisiana, I haven't been there. Sure, New Orleans is a convention mecca and Bourbon Street can be a bit much, but that the city remains such a massive tourist attraction and yet maintains its very real mystique is no miracle. It's a tribute to its proudly diverse population and its substantial and fascinating heritage. No other town in America can match New Orleans' proud and particular origins. No city contains such a rich trove of histories, painful and joyous. And truly, none can lay stronger claim to being the authentic heart and soul of this nation, containing within its city limits the multitudinous legacy that actually makes America great. Despite persistent troubles and real geographic challenges, New Orleans will never be denied, and it takes most visitors one trip to the place to join the cause. Sure did for me. I've been back time and time again, if only for the beignets smothered in sugar at Café du Monde. Woven into the texture of the city's fabled history is the biography of a woman who provides a lens into New Orleans culture, which historically, and currently for that matter, has had so much to do with the religious practice of voodoo. Her name was Marie Laveau, and while she lived in the 19th century, 1801 to 1883, she was a voodoo leader in New Orleans, described as a voodoo queen, and she's the focus of our conversation for the next 30 minutes, guided by Elizabeth James, 
a voodoo practitioner herself with deep, deep roots in New Orleans. She is a program associate at the University of Michigan for Afro-American and African Studies. She's been a consultant for brands like Disney, who are seeking to portray voodoo in a much more accurate light. Greetings, Elizabeth. It's an honor to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Happy to be here. It's always wonderful to talk about something I love. Elizabeth, I know this much. Voodoo is a religion fundamentally about our human connection to nature, to spirits, to our ancestors. It's an amalgam of African and American cultures. It's quite an amazing practice. Let's first discuss Voodoo's core beliefs and how it came to develop so uniquely in Louisiana. Well, let's start with the word. Voodoo itself comes from the Dahomey term, Vaudu, which is spirit or God. Mm. And so when you are speaking about voodoo, you're really talking about what we call serving spirits. It's a deeply personal journey that also is communal. So there's so many different parts of it that connect together in ways that take you on multiple layers of experiences. This is a short conversation that deserves much more depth than we can give it today, but I want to be clear with the audience about how voodoo arrives in America. Take us through that journey. As you can imagine, voodoo was brought over when enslaved Africans from West Africa in particular came to this country. They were forced under atrocious circumstances to come to the United States to work as free labor. But the one thing that was most precious to them was their faith in their families and holding together their communities. And so one way they were able to do that was through, you know, continuing their practices that they had at home. So as they came to the United States, those who were able were able to do that by gathering together, still practicing. And one thing that happened in New Orleans that was very interesting and that you will see along the Caribbean and also in South America is that something happened called syncretism, which is the Vodou practitioners linked their faith to Catholicism which was being practiced. And that way they could have, as I was saying with the multiple experiences, you're looking at one thing and you're also seeing something else. So I can go into a Catholic church, see Mother Mary, but also know that she's Maria Zuli. I can look at her and also see Oshun, which is the Nigerian name for the Orisha. So You're looking at multiple things, and that way you could continue the practice without the slave owners knowing. And at the same time, you're also able to remain true to the faith that you brought with your family over from that area. Another thing that was unique in New Orleans was that the French slaveholders permitted the slaves on Sundays to be able to gather. And so that's why there's this heightened sense of voodoo when you hear about Congo Square. Congo Square was where the folks gathered, along with Bayou St. John, and they were able to 
be together, to sing, to dance, to have these wonderful experiences where they were able to remember who they really were. So there's an authenticity there that continues, and that's why it's multi-generational. That's why it continues to this day. You're talking about uh, Congo Square, which is in the French Quarter in New Orleans. You can visit it today. So let me summarize what you're saying. Enslaved West Africans arrive in the Caribbean by force. Haiti especially figures into this. Their beliefs, their religious practices are forbidden. They're supposedly converted to Christianity. But they conceal their original beliefs behind the saints of Christianity. They're merged in order to preserve their faith. In order, for, It's a survival technique. How do we continue our own culture, our own community, while sort of hiding, you know, concealing ourselves behind that which the uh, owners want us to do? This enabled this practice to flourish in a way that was very clever and very important as a cultural strength, right? Right. The food, the music. You just said it when you said the saints are songs when the saints go marching in. You're singing (laughs) one song, but I'm singing a different one. That's interesting. But it's all the different things that are right before your eyes. And a lot of it has to do with nature, as you said. I think that's something where you really get a sense of people who are aware of nature around them. It's a huge part of the faith, you know, being aware and alert of your surroundings. So that that too is a very integral part of understanding what it is and where we are. We're not always in physical churches. We also move out into the, Mm. by the water. After the Haitian Revolution, 1791, Many, many uh, formerly enslaved Haitians migrate to New Orleans, bringing with them this complex belief system. And Haitian voodoo, as you're calling it, is the proper pronunciation, becomes a New Orleans voodoo. Is that, am I getting the sounds right here? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's why it's also interesting, because there were different ways that people practiced it. So you had some of the original West Africans who were already in New Orleans practicing it. But then now you have the Haitian folks coming over, and they're practicing it. Some are enslaved, some are not. And so you that's how you end up with Mama Marie. Marie Laveau, she was not enslaved. She was a free woman of color. It's an important thing to recognize. Before we get into Marie, and it's a fascinating story that we're here to tell, I just want to nail down a few more real basics that are very important to understand this. First of all, the the time and history chronology is really complicated here. And it's just important to recognize the fact that when I said the 1791 Haitian Revolution, which really has so much to do with the sudden influx of people who, who really practice a lot of this, this is before this is America, before the Louisiana Purchase. New Orleans begins as a French colony, then becomes a Spanish colony, and then goes back to France very briefly before Napoleon sells the whole thing to Jefferson in 1803, and it becomes an American place, you know, part of the United States. All this while, of course, it's the American South, the land of slavery. So it's an incredibly interesting brew of a culture that is New Orleans to this day. To this day, and I think that the huge black population of the town really 
very, very important to recognize because folks are down there, they're singing, they're dancing, they're having these experiences that people are going to see even back then. You know, they would go to Congo Square and it was it was something that was very titillating for the other new Americans who are coming down there. Sure. But it was something that was so much more to the other folks. And as you said, this is long before the Civil War. So New Orleans plays a very complex role in that. It's just all the things of a port city, a southern city. But as one of my dear friends likes to say, it's also the most African of cities in the United States. Well, that's what makes it such an interesting place and such a valuable place in American society, because it really is, as I said in the opening, the multitudes of what makes America the population it really is. But uh, the second thing that I wanted to really nail down is the reputation of voodoo, which is so created by mass media. Let's clear that up right away. Voodoo is not anything per se dark. It can go to that place. But it is itself a very peaceful and pacifist religion that has to do with emboldening people in their lives, connecting them to nature. It's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful, but I would caution saying peaceful. (laughs) I would say (laughs) it's very passionate. I think that the folks who, who follow it, we have very deep feelings about it. It's something that we understand that there are many different parts to being on this earth. And so you have moments of great anger, great joy, great happiness, great sorrow. So all of these things come up as you're dealing with everyday life. And so Part of the journey is learning how you react, who you beseech to help you along on your journey. For example, like my grandmother was a very strong woman. She was a child of Shango. So if ever I'm feeling weak or I feel as though I need some real strength, I call to her. There's a lot of ancestral veneration which is also built into it. It's a natural part of it. You must always remember to be honorable to your ancestors. Do anything to to embarrass or besmirch their names or their legacies is very detrimental. So these are things that you're also bringing in with you, even as you're going along on your daily existence I feel as though I have multitudes with me. I'm never alone. What is, when I say practice of voodoo, what is that practice in a very basic sense? How is it done? For me, going to mass on Sunday. You know, it's it's something where you're there. But as I said, it's a very personal faith. And so for some people, that entails taking some type of gift or presenting something to the ancestors, which could be anything from flowers to sacrifice, which people often don't understand. It can be anything from taking a walk in nature and calling out to the land around me and pulling in that energy. Because the thing about it is, it's kind of, 
I've tried to describe to friends that it, in many ways, it's like the force in Star Wars. It's all around you. You're a part of it. And when you connect to it, you do feel ultimately very much at peace. But there's also that part that can be very raging and can be very impassioned and can. That's what I think people see when they see like the are dancing or they hear like the music that can be very powerful and it can evoke people to tears because it really is very, very strong, but it's also human. It speaks to the fullness of a human experience. And part of that fullness is to be uh, connected to your ancestors and your past as well. Is the black magic aspect of things anything real or is that a fiction? No, it's, I think what people were looking at is people beseeching ancestors to help them get through things. So say if someone goes and sees me visiting my mom and grandmother's grave and I'm taking a plate with me and I've got it sitting there with food on it, to them it may seem something very strange. But for me, it's something that's very, um, you know, Americans used to go to the cemetery and have lunches and picnics with families. And so... These are things that I think, again, speak to the human experience. So there's that sense of if you're very angry at somebody, you know, my grandmother would say, don't call somebody out of their name. All the things you do when you're really mad, it's a part of it. But there's also things where, you know, you're asking for, like recently when I was ill, I prayed for strength and guidance and help from the ancestors to get me through that period where I couldn't carry it by myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We did a a television show down in Haiti years ago, and and it was a very interesting experience. (laughs) I went through an hour, if not longer, ritual being welcomed into this community myself. And then we attended and shot a very private ritual in a cave, a very famous cave, which was part of the Haitian Revolution that was really a big deal. And so this group agreed to take us off there. And it was a very honorable crowd. There was a, a, an esteemed professor led this thing, which turned out to have a, a sacrifice in it, a, a sacrifice of a goat. And it was all very intense, uh, lots of drumming, <laughs> lots, lots of drumming. The drum, oh, I'm so glad yeah. you mentioned that. The drum is the heartbeat of the community. The drum is so important. And the drum came with us from Africa. So that's where, you know, so important because that drum is really the lead communicator. Elizabeth, there's so much in Hollywood. And I'm going all the way back to the silence. Bela Lugosi movies. It goes on and on. It's so utilized in a dark sense. The curses, the voodoo dolls, all of that. Speak to that storytelling and how that has influenced people and their view of voodoo. I think that's absolutely it. The storytelling, it's very exciting. It's something that automatically catches your attention. And this young burgeoning business of Hollywood automatically latched onto these stories because, you know, here they go to New Orleans and hear these stories and they're like, oh, wait, this is going to make us all kind of money. To this day, you know, I'm still seeing things where I'm like, oh, my goodness, they have no idea what they're even, some have really tried to do better. 
I remember Angel Heart in the 90s, and it was so sensationalized, you know, so important that we go see her, you know, whatever she did with a chicken. It's all of that. And basically, it's a way of capitalizing on the darker aspects of the practice, which are not the usual practices. Right. As you said, having actually seen an animal sacrifice, there are moments during ceremonies when you have people who are come over with emotion, who do become taken by the different spirits that are in the space. And it is a very powerful and humbling experience. However, sometimes people really, they may have heard of something like this, and then off they go with their imagination about what they're actually looking at. Of course. And we were guilty of it on our television show. We were told by the network to go find a puffer fish and get that poisonous element from the puffer fish. It was a ridiculous thing. But why? Because it got viewers. And that's the only point of the whole thing. There's a demonization aspect to this, which, you know, is not very far from racism, you know, as far as why you would choose to see this practice in that light. Right. It's very lurid. It's very demeaning. And You know, I just noticed that if you compare the way that, say, Wiccan practices are held compared to voodoo, it's hugely different. And I've been in spaces with folks from different practices and having to explain, wait a minute, I don't know what you thought you saw here, but it wasn't that. I'll be back with more American history after this short break. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? UVX 10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's EUFY.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best in class all in one robot vacuum for only $799. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I think you'll like. It's called Mysteries at the Museum from Travel Channel and is narrated by me, Don Wildman, and is direct audio from my TV show, Mysteries at the Museum. On Mysteries at the Museum, I travel across the U.S. to find objects that tell shocking stories of American history. You'll hear about the portrait linked to the first bank robbery in American history and about the failed invention from World War II that evolved into one of the most popular toys for kids. Objects carry a lot of power. They tell a story about a person, a place, or a time in history. And sometimes they just look like ordinary household objects. Uncover the secrets behind these incredible objects and learn about the history of war, science, crime, and everything in between. I think you'll like this podcast because it's telling every kind of American story through fascinating historical objects. So listen to Mysteries at the Museum wherever you get your podcasts. So let's talk about Marie Laveau. Um, It's very important to understand her heritage. She is a Creole. Can you explain what that means? 
Creole is someone who has French ancestry of some sort. And though I will say it doesn't have to necessarily be only French, it could be Spanish. It's um, when the ancestry is derived from another ancestry, there's Black Creoles, white Creoles. So you can be Creole in New Orleans and be coming up and have, because of slavery, have the same patriarchs and yet coming down from the same bloodlines, but two very different experiences. A person who is Creole, uh, yeah, I mean, if you look up the definition, it's a, a racial mix of African-American, European strains, perhaps French and Spanish, often Haitian involved in the background, but also Native American frequently. It is that brew that is so unique to New Orleans because of its background, but also because of the culture, obviously. These lines were not as distinctly drawn as perhaps in Massachusetts with the Puritans and down south later on. And all that is kind of, uh, that's what makes New Orleans New Orleans. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's that fun element. But it also uh, created very interesting relationships. So Marie Laveau is born in 1801. Okay, so these are early days as far as America's uh, role in New Orleans. But she's going to live a good long life. And throughout these decades, she becomes more and more of a leader in the community vis-a-vis her voodoo practices and her understanding and expertise in things like healing and community leadership, I suppose. How much of her Creole heritage played a role in her career? It was essential because the part I want to point out of what you're saying is the real power that she began to gain was because she was a hairdresser. (laughs) The part that people kind of leave out, and yet there is nowhere where you can gain more greater power, is through that type of intimate relationship with her clientele. She learned all the city's business. She learned all the city's essential information, all through women who were sitting in the chair. So as they left, they left feeling good and Marie left with a wealth of information that she could use as knowledge. She was known among the judges because she could go in and plead for certain folks because she knew the real stories behind what had happened. This is how she grew to be a community leader. You know, she was working, as they say, both sides of the street in terms of very faithful St. Louis Cathedral. I can't imagine how much money they reaped from her donations to the church. She worked there. She worked with the poor. She would take things to the prisons. Where else do you gain information? The visitors that she would go to? Oh, my goodness, another treasure trove of information. So Marie's collecting all this, and she's a very smart and clever woman. And because... She is able to take that knowledge and use it and not just sit on it. You know, a lot of people don't realize their worth and their power, but Marie did. And so she was a leading personality because not only was she a very faithful woman, but she was also a very clever woman. And so those two combined 
led her to incredible power in the city. And would you say her voodoo practice is incidental in that? It sounds like you're describing a community leader, a, a political community leader. How much of voodoo played a role in that role? It was very important because she never denied or tried to set aside her identity. And again, yeah. so that leaves you with credibility in your community. It right. leads you to be seen as someone who is going to stand up for others. And when she's down at Congo Square, when she's out offering blessings and prayers, as she's on her way every Sunday, she may be at Mass, but best believe she's also in those evenings down by the river with the others celebrating the ancestors, being very mindful of that role in the community. Now, these were tough times in any city in, in the world, really, but certainly in New Orleans, there was a lot of disease. There was a lot of uh, yellow fever was a big problem in cholera. She was known as a healer as well and using those voodoo practices in that regard, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Because of, there's an element of voodoo that also deals, as I said earlier, you know, with the natural world. So, you know, from a very early time, walking with my grandmother in the garden, and she's picking peppermint. She's picking different herbs that she's got in her garden, telling me what they are. I'm just learning naturally as a little girl, picking them, putting them in the pockets of her dress. And it's a very natural way that you're brought into this. Yeah. That's what I remember. The day we shot, we took a, a walk in the woods and we pulled leaves off trees and, and plants and, and each and every one of them had a specific purpose and uh, had effects and, and healing properties that were done mostly through brews of teas. You know, we boiled water and added these teas to these leaves to those teas. And it was an, an amazing natural experience. Very holistic. So that's How Marie. Did... Marie's taking people, you know, here's women sitting again in the chair saying they're having headaches, they're having, say, problems with reproduction. Marie's like, oh, I have a tea for that. These types of things where it's, it's things that have been perhaps lost along the way as we yeah. try to become more civilized, as we call it, and we lose our natural practices of how to live in community with the earth. And so by her being able to do these things, that's another aspect of it. There's so much about uh, modern holistic practice these days that we see on the line and so forth. It's really a return to these practices that were created by, by ancient civilizations and using nature in a much more fundamental way. Oh, I see it all the time. It freaks me out sometimes <laughs> when I'm seeing these ads for things and I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, you could get that root for like... Five and cents. Your, and in your backyard. <laughs> your backyard? Yeah, grow your own little herb garden. And yeah. not only will you have amazingly tasting food, but, you know, again, this is where New Orleans cooking comes in. Cooking's a healing art. When you just stop to think about it, it's like, oh, this makes perfect sense. No yeah. wonder people are sitting down, sharing meals. The meal has been made with love and also intention. These blessings Marie would put on the food 
the blessings that the women in the community would put on the food. All of these things play a role in how folks perceived her as well as how she ultimately was definitely, as a pun, definitely feeding into that image. Sure. Elizabeth, tell me about Marie Laveau's view of slavery. I mean, this is the number one marketplace of slavery in America at this time. New Orleans was an intense place this way. How would she have intersected with this community, with this whole phenomenon? Well, being a free woman of color, there was a lot she could do and a lot that she did do. And I think that, you know, again, perhaps some of the things that people misperceive about some of the workings that she did behind the scenes to have people freed, to have people say she could intervene if she's doing someone's hair and someone comes in and they say that, you know, someone has misbehaved and they're going to be reprimanded, they're going to be beaten or something. Marie can intervene on that. She can step in and say something to the woman of the house about it. That's a very subtle and nuanced way that she can handle it. Enslaved people who have been imprisoned for whatever reason, that certainly was happening. So she could intervene in the prisons with the judges. She could get people freed from these type of situations. There's a lot that went on that was very mutinous that happened all across the South that people will never know because that was the point. You know, they didn't want anyone to ever realize how they were able to negotiate and navigate this very dangerous and deadly situation for so many people. And so her working with people, again, offering blessings, she's dancing with people on those Sundays, again, hearing stories about different people, perhaps helping them to escape to the Native communities around them. That's where, again, when you talked about miscegenation and the Native ancestry coming in, a lot of people don't stop and think about the communities that, as African Americans were running to freedom, they would be sheltered by the Native communities as they continued on their way. Some chose to stay. So all of these things she could help to navigate. It's so interesting to me. This is a more general comment, but it's so interesting to me how at this time, and certainly in Haiti, and but it continues into the American South, enslaved people of color have to sort of live their lives hiding in plain sight. Their true natures, their true practices and, and communities are behind a wall for survival purposes, obviously, but also to thrive and survive. This continues on generationally into American life post-Civil War. It's an aspect of African-American life that has to be continued on, certainly through Jim Crow and so forth. But it's so interesting to me that the roots of all of this go back to this time and to this way of surviving and this way of behaving so that you could still continue. You still had your self-respect in the midst of such a critically awful time to go through. I you think I mean? that's absolutely. I think what you're saying about Marie and secrecy 
is so essential to understanding African-American life. We were taught to, you know, avert our eyes, taught even, this isn't even in my generation, you know, taught to stand at the back of the elevator. I remember riding with my great aunt and she would literally tremble if she got on an elevator with a man who my aunt was much fairer in complexion than the man was. He probably didn't even know he was standing with a black woman. But for her, that symbol of privilege was something that was the total opposite with my grandmother, who would stand at the front of the elevator, you know, and this can be all within one family. So what you're saying about secrecy, though, is really, really important because I think that it was something used for safety. It was something used for keeping people alive. And so when you have these folks who are escaping from the Haitian Revolution, which was the first time that Blacks had stood up and said, no, we're not going to be slaves. Toussaint L'Overture is in so many songs. Anytime you hear across New Orleans, there are so many little boys still named Toussaint. You know, that's a name that has such reverence in our society. And if somebody says in passing, you know, like Toussaint is going to rise up again, you know that most people on the street don't know what you're talking about. But certainly folks who do know, again, that double, that secretism, that syncretism, you know, that sense of what's behind the scenes. And for those who don't know, there's a name referring to the military leader of the Haitian Revolution, who was a brilliant leader. What is her heritage? What is her legacy, Marie Laveau? She has 15 children you can read about, but who knows how many of those were grandchildren. And, you know, the, the records are unclear. Some of those go on, even with her name, to continue practicing and so forth. What is Marie Laveau's legacy? You hear her name constantly in the streets of New Orleans today. Why does she still matter? I think, well, that's the reason we call her Mama Marie. She stands for the power. She stands for not backing down. She stands for all of the strength of a Black woman in the face of insurmountable odds. And that she was able to utilize all the skills at her disposal to empower and to embolden her community is just incredible. It's just like, you know, they had Tignon laws to that women of color had to keep their heads wrapped. Well, the women down there, they decided to take it and make it into something that was a signal of power and beauty. And so it's like taking, making a way out of no way. And I think that that's part of why people fear voodoo. They fear Marie, because they really are fearing what might happen if you were ultimately free to really connect with the passionate and powerful side of your personality. I think, you know, the veneration that you hear about her, people, they don't mess with her in You know, it's something where that legacy turned into a legend. There's Marie one, two, three. You don't know actually when she died because 
the records have so many different dates because Marie too stepped in and because, of course, daughters look like their moms, they continued that legend to keep that power flowing in the community. It is still there. I mean, it, it, we often speak of it in quaint tones, and it's not. It's a real religion, and it's a real important part of certainly New Orleans, but elsewhere uh, all across the country. It is so important and relevant that people understand that reality because it's a path into another level of racial understanding in this country. And once you've opened that door, you're further inside the experience of how certainly African-Americans back then adjusted to that forced transition in their lives, how they made this new land their own. And you're not too far from the 20th century to the music of jazz and rock and roll. I mean, all this can basically be traced back to voodoo and the lessons Mm -hmm. and the meanings. And I think that what you said about how it has transversed the continent, it really has. There's pretty much no place in the United States where there isn't someone. I smiled when we were talking about the East Coast because I just had a friend who moved to Martha's Vineyards and she was like, oh girl, I'm up here with all of this water power. (laughs) She was like, this is a different kind of energy than the rivers. I'm out here on the ocean and we were just, I mean, I can't wait to go visit her because it's going to be a different type of energy source. Yeah, it's uh, it's important. Uh, I invite everyone to consider that trip to New Orleans. Uh, a little plug for the cultural bureau there, I'm sure. But it's a place where you can really get in touch with this. And, and in doing so, you're getting in touch with an essential part of the America that is still developing. It's fantastic. Thank you so much, Elizabeth James. It's been really a great honor to meet you. And I hope I do so again. Absolutely. My pleasure as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of American History Hit. I hope you enjoyed it. Please don't forget to like, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of American History Hit. Please follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us, and you'll be doing us a big favor. Don't forget, you can also listen to all these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe. As a special gift, you'll also get your first three months for just $1 a month when you use code AmericanHistory at checkout.